Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode brought to you by Cooper Tires, beautiful Cooper Tires, those who present and power the road to Indy, your future IndyCar stars, the Justice Brothers, their automotive chemicals and lubricants. Think about what they have achieved this year, top of being one of my old friends, old, old family friends, winning the Rolex 24 Daytona with Wayne Taylor, that number 10 Acura ARX 05, being part of that program, being on their car, winning the big IMSA season opener, and then winning the Indy 500 as part of the Meyer Shank racing team on Elio Castro Neves' number 06 Honda Justice Brothers there for both, on both cars, supporting them, supporting us here in the podcast. Just a, uh, boy, pretty amazing, amazing season so far for them. And then finally, TorontoMotorsports.com. We do so much fun stuff with them. They're going to be on site this weekend at Nashville. They're mobile. I don't know what you call it. It's a merchandise and memorabilia and, and stickers and shirts and all kinds of stuff, hats and whatnot trailer, but it's just a lot of fun. Derek Koska, who owns Toronto Motorsports, his pal, my pal, Roger Warwick, who does pretty much all the art for our show. They'll be there as usual traveling, so please stop by. If you happen to be a member of the Prue Day, P-R-U-E and the word day, that is the kind of came up on their own, made up their own listener group for the show and the podcast in general. The name Prue Day, obviously part of my last name and also modeled after my favorite WWE tag team, The New Day. They will uh, lovingly receive the new hard cards that have been sent to uh, the Prue Day members where they get 10% off at that merchandise trailer. So there might be an actual benefit to the bench racing and fun and joining that Prue Day. So if you have an interest, drop me a note and I'll connect you with them. I'm not part of it. I, I don't play with any of that. That's for everyone else to enjoy. No need for, uh, for dad uh, to be there. So anyways, if you have an interest, it's a lot of really fun people. A lot of uh, a lot of great conversations, wacky conversations take place that I'm aware of, I'm told about. Uh, also, a really caring group as well who've been very supportive for folks uh, going through some hard times, some really hard times. And hey, we even have a uh, IndyCar driver who has joined the Prue Day, your championship leader, <laughs> Alex Pillow. He sent me a text uh, last week. He got his uh, Prue Day membership card in the mail. So. Anyways, uh, if you have an interest, that just might be a little slice of fun for you to join in on. Drop me a note. I'll get you connected with the folks who look after it. <sighs> for those who come here, just for the Q&A, I'm going to put a timestamp in the episode notes for you to go find now. And however you might be listening, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, uh, Podbean, which is the host for the site, or if you're listening on Racer, uh, you should be able to click something and get to the episode description and notes. And in there, there'll be a timestamp that I put in after this goes up. That would be the thing for you to find, to leap forward, to go straight to the Q&A. Because as I need to do, I'm not a too frequent uh, frequency. Uh, I need to have a little conversation with y'all. That's not about racing. 
was planning to open the show talking about Robin, Robin Miller, my uh, dear friend, colleague, just everything. Um, then I'm going to move on to something else, which just needs to uh, to open the show uh, because it fits how I've done the show. Also mention here that I recorded all this Tuesday night and did not publish the show. That's Wednesday morning right now, 7-something, and just wanted to sleep on it and woke up not happy with everything that I provided before the start of Q&A. I don't mean not happy because it was bad, just said, you know what, I'm going to do this again. Let's talk about Robin. Really glad that he published the letter, open letter that he did, and that went up Saturday happened to see it come through Friday night and it, it made me happy for him. Many of you have asked for updates. I've lost track of how many folks in the IndyCar paddock from team owners to drivers had a driver just this week ask for a, a method to contact Robin or to, uh, to get deeper insights on what's going on. And Robin's been very steadfast in Nope, that's staying local, that's staying close between us. And that's what I've done and other friends have done. Kept his situation private. That's why I was so happy to see him decide to share the honest reality of what's going on with you all. Talking about his mortality. By good fortune, he and I had that exact conversation and a lot more a few days prior to that letter going up uh, been trying to get a hold of his sister for a couple weeks now and she and I had exchanged texts and a lot of things but just were really struggling to get together and we've been wanting to find out on the racer side if there was a financial need with all the things Robin is going through will be going through and whatnot and if we needed to do something to jump in and help. And so, by chance, I uh, tried his sister again last Wednesday. She picked up and uh, said, hey, good news. And Robin had just come home from the hospital and was reaching for the phone, seeing that I guess it was me calling her. And to my great surprise, we spent I think it was 58 minutes, y'all, on the phone, call it an hour. Normally, he and I speak once a week, if not multiple times a week, as we've done for 10-plus years. It's been a challenge over the last good while, and for all the right reasons. Robin needing to focus on himself, his health, not catching up with idiot friends and colleagues. Share that just because, as I've told countless people who've said, hey, uh, I'm going to send an email or text or call Robin or whatever. Told all of them for a while now, don't be upset or surprised if you hear nothing back. Uh, it sometimes has taken me weeks to get a response from Robin on something. It's just because what he's been dealing with, far more than what he wrote about, it's been real, been serious. And so knowing all that, I was just hoping to connect with his sister for a brief period get some information to help racer myself 
figure out what can we do, what need is there. And he grabbed the phone and we ended up speaking for almost an hour. So in that conversation, everything that you read in his letter on racer.com was shared. A lot of other things too. And it was definitely an opportunity for he and I to say a lot of things that had gone unsaid before. It's a little bit of a feeling, not of a farewell, because that's not where he's at. Actually, he's feeling better and better and starting to contribute um, as he's able with a mailbag coming back next week and such. So that's amazing. But just a realization that, hey, uh, we've been really close for quite a while. He and I have been a IndyCar reporting one-two combination at two media organizations now, at Speed, and then obviously at Racer for the last eight or nine years. He and I came here together as a package deal. Um, just wanted to say a lot of things that, like I said, weren't of the farewell nature, but were really open. It was a really... Heavy, but for me, beautiful thing to have uh, to have that time and conversation with him on a number of fronts. His mortality, which is what I want to come back to. If you do a really basic search on your WebMD or Google or whatever else and you learn about leukemia, you find that, yeah, there's actually a really small window for most people who are diagnosed with it to live. So the thing that I was happiest with for Robin is we share the same service dog mentality. If we're not working, if we're not contributing, we don't feel like we have much value. It's a silly thing, I understand that, but just sitting doing nothing like that's fine for a day or two or whatever but there's a inner fire in him in me i'm sure in many of you and what you do for a living or the thing you're most passionate about there's that inner fire and desire to wake up every day and do it it feeds you and sustains you and it's a big part of who you are and so knowing that that is the thing that's driven Robin for so long, it was really awesome to hear his shift. Instead of fighting mentally, spiritually against the changes in his life, it's just a beautiful thing to hear him acknowledge and accept the fact that, hey, I could write a thousand more articles before I die. Is that going to change my life? Is that going to do anything for me or the world? No, it won't. So I'm going to take the time I have remaining and spend that with family. So as he wrote and as he mentioned to me, he's going to sell his condo that he's had forever in Indy and sometime in the fall move to Arizona and be with family. Watch his nephews, nieces just See them grow, but just be part of family and have that be the final chapter of his life. 
tough conversation and not, you know, none of this is about me. I'm just sharing that being on the receiving end, listening to this, it's heavy stuff, especially with someone that you really deeply care for. Robin's never been like a father figure. Good Lord. <laughs> I would hope nobody has looked up to Robin like a father. They're probably in jail right now if they followed that guy. Um, kidding aside, he's been a mentor. He's been such a close friend. He's been my number one advocate and that's pretty amazing right he's been number one indycar reporter forever right for 50 years i'm walking in the path that he has created always known that never been a mistake doesn't matter what my stories do in terms of traffic or None of those things matter. Robin is and will always be the number one guy. And as I was an IndyCar mechanic, uh, I should just say open wheel mechanic, going back to my earliest days before I even got to IndyCar, reading Robin was a big deal. And on track, wherever he might be, um, loved the guy. Didn't always agree with him, which everyone feels a need to say about Robin myself included. It's not as if you ever agree with everything everybody or anybody says, right? So it's all, that always stands out as a weird thing, but it does come to mind. Don't always agree with everything he says, but well, name a person where you go every single thing you say I agree with. Anyways, um, was a huge fan of Robin when I was just a guy, kid, whatever, working and racing. Uh, when I was in IndyCar, and then afterwards, and then crazily enough, go to work at speed, start off covering sports cars exclusively, and then start adding in IndyCar. And then all of a sudden, this guy I've held aloft is someone I'm talking to, sitting next to. Then he and I are doing stories together, videos for a long time with me behind the camera, filming and editing and posting. Then me in front of the camera with him and just he and I being a combo, uh, crazy things for me. Like I, I just want to share that part, the guy's impact on my life, my profession. There's only one or two other people that I would put in the same league. Joe Tripp, who gave me the opportunity at speed, and Paul Fanner, who owns and runs Racer Magazine. I mean, those three are responsible for me talking to you right now. Without any of them, I'm a guy you probably don't know. Most likely don't know. Never met. No reason to. Nothing. So... Miller's been in the center of that. So just let y'all know, it's been a really heavy week. Happy for him. As I told him in our conversation on Wednesday, I'm happy that he's come to this realization now in terms of priorities and what he wants to do with the remaining time that he has. 
told him two years tops is about it, that of what you could hope for. Obviously, we would like that to be totally incorrect. Regardless, he is acting upon this and will be contributing stories if and when he feels like it, not out of obligation. Um, Going to be focusing on the things that he wants to make sure are the most nourishing for the rest of his life. And I love that because as I told him, that's something that I wish my father had done when he was diagnosed with lung cancer. He was a lifelong smoker. They gave him about two years, two to three years was the maximum that they estimated. He held on to those numbers as gospel. He lasted four months, I think, something like that, four to five months. Was blindsided by the rapid turn that the cancer took and wiped him out. And blindsided in the sense that he had yet to come to terms with his mortality. So I'm glad that Robin is acknowledging it for what it is has shared with folks his thoughts and feelings, told a lot of folks what they mean to him. And as he, I don't remember if he did put this at the bottom of his uh, letter, but I don't know if you're going to see Robin at a racetrack again more than once or twice. So uh, just congratulations to Robin for an amazing life, truly an amazing life going to be hard very hard for those of us who part of his world love him so much uh, take so much joy from knowing him and giving him a hard time and him giving it back and all the crazy silly stuff that comes from Robin Miller's world know for those of you I would assume many of you who've read Robin or followed his uh, his career and his work I think it's been a heavy week, heavy couple of days for many of us. So as he has had to pull back since late last year as his daily fight and trips to the hospital slash clinic for treatments and such have taken the majority of his weeks for about 10 months now, I've done my best to ramp up IndyCar content, talk a little bit about that at the very end of the show and the last question that gets asked, actually. But, um, man, just not a day or realization that any of us ever wanted to have. So, heavy times. So that's Robin. Um, Main thing I wanted to share with you, mentioned over the last episode or two, that my wife and I have just been going nuts lately with appointments, driving all over, hecking back. Uh, reasons for those, obviously. I think I think it was last week, started off with a full tank of gas. Monday morning, I think it's 326 miles of range or something like that, and we were down to fumes by the end of the week. That's just driving around here in the San Francisco Bay Area, which 
while it's not small, it's not crazy in terms of distances from town to town. So just <laughs> burning through a full tank, going back and forth and here and there and to the same place twice and this and that, like just an indicator of, whoa, wow. Um, so the part that really made me want to redo this intro uh, because I just kind of went on and on last night. Um, cancer's back. Um, found that out early-ish Monday morning this week. And I am always as honest with y'all as I can be, noting that sometimes on the professional side, can't necessarily tell you everything I know. It's just part and parcel of being a reporter, a journalist, or whatever. Also have not shared every facet and detail of what my wife um, has been dealing with. And that's just due to her comfort level, my comfort level. We try to be as much of an open book as we can, uh, as we're comfortable with. So let me just talk to you about this, and then we're going to get on with the show. And I apologize again for the, well, for those who just want to hear the Q&A, in theory, you're not hearing any of this and you're already there. Um, so we are, I don't know, a couple weeks away from the three year mark of when uh, my wife, Shabrell was diagnosed with breast cancer for newer listeners of the show. Haven't spoken about this a ton, uh, for, I don't know, the last six months, year, whatever, just cause we've been in a pretty good groove and it's just normal each week. Uh, this appointment each week, that, and you know, just been in a groove. We've been doing this for a while now. And so um, just making steady progress. So apologize for those who are learning stuff that they weren't necessarily planning on or wanting to. You never know how folks react to things. So about three years ago, uh, we had this initial cancer diagnosis um, turned our worlds upside down. Uh, wife, my wife had surgery, um, pretty serious, you know, serious surgery to remove. Um, little span of time went on. Then in May of 2019, which is when many of y'all learned about uh, this fight, uh, it returned and it returned hard. Um, the veracity of the breast cancer, uh, that she's fighting. I mean, it's, it is weapons grade. It is ready to pardon my French blow shit up. Uh, it is hardcore. And, uh, as however many of you know, uh, I had to rush and leave, uh, Indy day after qualifying 2019 um we had uh yeah things got really close to being really bad um so i had to fly home obviously and been home since and happily so uh also had that cancer migrate to some other sites um attacked her back which again we've I've mentioned loosely um, caused some 
serious uh, mobility challenges. Uh, it's another thing my wife really does not want to be spoken about in any specifics. So I'm sure you all have imaginations though, but can figure it out. But all of a sudden we're fighting cancer on multiple fronts and it has just been brutal in its effects with her. And so we move into hardcore chemo and for those of you who are familiar with cancer, breast cancer, you know, I'm not an expert in any of it. Uh, there are ser- you know, oh my goodness, grades of cancer in your body. There are lesser forms. The very general approach when you're dealing with uh, very serious, aggressive, weapons-grade cancer is it's a two-pronged affair. I want to just share this because it it helps you get to where we are right now. You have the, as I generally refer to it, the kill it chemo, right? Kill the cancer inside you. You have the kill it phase. And then once you are successful in killing it, you have the maintenance phase. So when you eradicate the cancer in your body, It's not job done. It's not a party. It's not success. Um, It is just ending of phase one, moving on to phase two. And phase one, the kill it phase, it's nasty. Uh, When you're dealing with really weapons-grade type cancer. So the chemicals they put in your body, overstating the obvious, if they're pumping you with things designed to kill cancer. You can only imagine what those chemicals happen to be and how they affect every aspect of your life. Uh, You know about folks, their hair falling out. Uh, Neuropathy is another thing that is common with cancer patients. The disgusting things that you have to have put into your body to kill the cancer. Well, they circulate your fingertips, your toes, your scalp, big parts of the circulatory system where these things are ending up constantly. Well, that's why nerve endings are killed and all of a sudden fingertips go dead on you. You can't feel anything. Toes, feet. That's why your hair falls out because everything's been killed in the uh, the extremities of the body. That's part and parcel. Men, women, you name it, happen. That's just part of it. Even though it's just part of it, if you've never gone through it, can you imagine the ends of your hands feeling like they don't exist or they're in pain because your nerve endings are being killed, your feet and your head? I mean, some of you are going through this. Some of our listeners, hopefully not many, but Louise Smith is one. She definitely knows what this is like. So it's hardcore, y'all. And so... That's what we went through for quite a while. And awesome. We we got to a point to where the kill it chemo phase did its job. And you move on to the next phase, which is the suppressing it. And that's where we've been. And that's the part that has the big question mark at the end. Is that a year two years, five years, the rest of your life. 
totally unknown, totally up to the individual and what they're dealing with. So we've been in that chemo phase for a while. Also, with the attacks and damage done to my wife's back, we've been in hardcore specialized physical therapy for her to overcome the effects uh, of that. And so this is a cancer fight, a mobility fight, the side effects and challenges and the exhaustion and the, right? I mean, you just would not wish this on anybody, much less your wife, your husband, whomever it is that you love, parent, brother, sister. It's just brutal, y'all. So it's never become easy since we've been in this, but it's become routine. And with routine, the scariness goes away a little bit. And it just, right, right, you get up and on this day you do that and I need to prepare this for our trip tomorrow and we've got it blah, 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 blah. Just that becomes your life. Share that because while we don't know the end date of the, the maintenance and suppression chemo to keep this weapon from exploding and taking off again, we've been in a good groove of going to obviously keep going for however much longer, however many years, whatever. Generally hear that you want to go five years or so with fully clean cancer screenings before you can feel somewhat confident just limiting herself to what oncologists say to do. The amount of time she puts in every single day uh, through whether it's supplements, supplementary treatments that we go and receive all throughout the Bay Area, constantly on the move. All of these things are meant to help her level up and level up and level up in this fight against cancer. The things that she does at home every day to double, triple, quadruple the intensity of the fight against cancer to make it her body totally inhospitable uh, for it to live or thrive or everything else. It is insane seeing the side effects of all that, that she willfully goes through it it is it makes no sense if i were in her position and i say this with all honesty i don't know if i could do half of what she does while understanding the the physical incursion and side effects that come with it and that's totally separate from chemo totally separate from everything else that's her commitment to fighting and winning and being in almost a permanent state of disrest uh, or discomfort. So that's the part that just makes me so angry. We've gone through everything we could think of and cannot find a thing truly where you go, oh, well, we slipped here. Oh, well, we knew we shouldn't have done that, but we did, and this might be how... 
this fire has sparked up again. Like, no, that's the thing that pisses me off so much is all the work she's put in to find out that for reasons we don't know, uh, it has come back. So just want to say, as I've said to y'all for a couple years now, I appreciate you talking here on my dumb podcast most of the time 90 plus percent of the time it's just fun it's family like community many of you i've gotten to know on a deeper level some of you while we might not have met in person have become like friends we interact daily or almost daily through whatever means outside y'all have given so much to me and us through your kindness, silliness, friendship. Uh, it, it, it really is a big part of my life. So just want to express my appreciation to you all. Also going to say that while we have been in this routine, there's going to be changes. There's going to be, instead of this being a consistent thing that I'm able to do with the podcast, look for it on this date and time. It slid the last couple of weeks. For those who weren't aware, it's pretty good evidence that there are things going on at home that have caused that. So um, just going to have to roll with the proverbial punches as we, we're not going back to start the start-finish line here. Um, But we are having to restart this fight. And that's going to come with a lot of calendar stuff on the fly. Yesterday uh, was supposed to be a relatively easy day at chemo uh, with some of the stuff that I had to do driving throughout the bay to get a lot of records and stuff for things related to what's just happened. And then chemo itself, I think ended up being about eight hours. Uh, I don't I remember we got home at like 6 p.m., which is crazy. Um, wasn't a great day uh, for her. Uh, if you think of, well, I was fuming most of the time there, sitting in our little cordoned off chemo, chemo area, um, There are days where racing teams perform at a high level and achieve at a high level, and there are days where the wheels fall off and um, that team looks like they don't really know what they're doing. And yesterday was one of those days. And so sitting across from my wife, going through chemo, kind of not an impromptu thing, but, uh, hey, instead of the plans we had for the day, we now need to do a lot of other things to uh, start this cancer fight again. It just, you'd like for that to have as smooth a start as possible, and uh, it wasn't great for her. Um, They, yeah, so. (sighs) Angry, depressed, frustrated, all the things you would expect. I look to y'all 
to take care of my wife and I. This is not really not something that I want spread all over. Not as if our lives is particularly meaningful compared to anyone else's, but um, I don't mind sharing this with you all, uh, but really would ask that this is not something where um, it's spread all over. Um, my wife does uh, check in and lurk a bit on social media, and yeah, um, I don't know how to end this part. Uh, we've made this has been public for a couple of years. I understand that. Um, I don't know if y'all want to say you know whatever, keep fighting or send her well wishes. Um, you know, I guess please do, but. This just isn't something we want to make a, make a big deal out of because it doesn't help. Um, we're just two people. Truly, it's just she and I. Um, it's, we're just two people trying to do our best to live, y'all. Uh, for myself to work, uh, support us, support her. She's got enough to deal with on her own that, uh, again... Heavy times, y'all. Want to uh, just wrap this here and say big, big thoughts. Uh, a lot of love for uh, our man Jimmy Vassar, co-owner of the Dale Coin Racing with Vassar Sullivan IndyCar uh, entry and also the Vassar Sullivan IMSA team. Jimmy lost his dad um, last weekend, I believe it was, and his dad was amazing. Truly a legendary guy. And so... Um, heavy times, y'all. Um, heavy times. So, sorry for a bit of a downer to open the show, but uh, I'm always going to be honest with y'all about this kind of stuff. And this is where I'm at and we're at. So, I'm going to drink some coffee and get going with the rest of my work day. And uh, let me cut in here to where I kicked off the Q&A last night, and hopefully some of it isn't total garbage. (laughs) But um, for those of you who are able to understand, a little bit scatterbrained these days, y'all. So with that, I'm going to make a little marker. This is where the show is going to start properly. Get a little bit of music bed going on. I'm going to tell you, try and bring some energy to this each week. I'm going to fake it as best I can. I hope you all love this Music City Grand Prix because it should be amazing. I know I don't want to start doing a show where I'm cursing a lot here, but I know as you all have told me from your communications with the promoters and whatnot, it's a little bit of a shit show in terms of paddock access, the cost to do that. I had to explain to a friend of mine, a powerful editor at a major magazine, right? And I mean, like, this person gets whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever, in our general world of automotive and motor racing. Uh, I had to explain to him by text today while standing in line in the radiology department, uh, at Mills Hospital in Burlingame, California. Uh, no, you and your wife cannot go to the paddock at Nashville this weekend unless 
you want to spend $1,500 to join a club in order to do that. And no, if you want to go there and bring the normal things you would to a motor race, well, you can't because they're applying NFL rules to a NFL, quote, property. So, uh, no, it's all the, you can't bring pretty much anything, and you got to bring small cameras and, like, all the stuff. If you go and watch a football game, you're like, okay, I get that's how you do that there. This isn't a Formula uh, football game. This is a Formula IndyCar uh, race, and we got a totally different thing, y'all, right? Um, yeah, so I'm sorry. You'd be surprised how many of you have reached out in private in, I don't know, the last two months or so, saying, could you please uh, talk to, name the person at IndyCar or the promoters of the event and tell them that this thing they're insisting that we can do or can't do or must do to have a normal experience at a motor racing event is totally foul and wrong. And in most instances, I've said, sorry, y'all, they ain't changing. But hopefully they'll learn from uh, everything you're sharing with them and the feedback they continue to hear that says, y'all, you're kind of pooping the bed from a fan experience to, uh, to open your inaugural grand pricks. Uh, all right, so with all that said, our pal Jim Kaiser tells me that we have... All right, I got to find it. I thought I had it sitting in front of me, so no. Um, He says that we have a lot of questions this week. Many of them, which I guess I could say is a good thing, are on the same topic. So instead of 10 people asking the same thing and I respond to all them, he's just picked one person as a representative for the group. So, uh, But nonetheless, yes, 71 questions, 3,973 words. I'm going to try and do as many as I can. But knowing that uh, we're getting a late start to your normal Q&A, I'm going to probably try and rip through as much as I can with haste. All right. Uh, Hey, opening topic, Ricardo Junkos, our boy Ricky. He's coming back to IndyCar. Oh, it makes me so happy. Um, I'll just share this part up front because it might help cover off some of uh, the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12-ish questions on the topic. Uh, had heard Ricky was coming back. It was on my list, and I guess it's an excuse. Um, it's on my list of things to try and track down, call Ricky when I could. Uh, with all those aforementioned appointments running all over the place, it just sat on a post-it note. He reached out on, I think, Saturday and said, Hey, uh, going to have some news on Monday. Um would love to talk to you about it. And maybe if you want to do a story of your own and, and publish that first, be totally cool with that. To which I said, you bet Ricky, whatever. Um, great call with him. And in that he's finally gotten the thing that he's wanted. And I would say has earned. And that is the opportunity to go IndyCar racing as he desires. No disrespect to all the drivers who have competed in his cars in IndyCar in the past. Say pretty much all Spencer Piggott being a little bit of of not necessarily applying to this totally, but he has had to rely on funded drivers to be on track. 
and our boy Kyle Kaiser and Elite's champion, Piggott and Elite's champion, both have done excellent work in Ricky's cars. Obviously, Kaiser, the the lifelong owner, one of the greatest stories of the Indy 500 you're ever going to hear, bumping McLaren and Fernando Alonso, right? But just sharing, no disrespect to those guys, but if you were an IndyCar team owner, you would rather have the ability to say, I want to go see if I can get Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Scott Dixon, Pato, like, I have the ability to go pursue the drivers that I want and hopefully hire someone that just makes me smile like mad on the inside. And that's what's going to happen here in this new partnership with Brad Hollinger. So excited for him. Just wanted to share that a little bit of background and context. And then uh, Brian Haywood, you're going to open up the questions. It's great to see Hunkos is back on the grid. Uh, for the three races end of this year and then starting full-time again next year. Good things happen to good people. So happy for Ricardo. Says the natural question is, do you expect them to form a technical partnership with an established team? Uh, given that they're a Chevy, it certainly limits the options available. Um, and then Brian asks one of the many questions of, who do you think is going to drive for him? So... <sighs> This is where, to your exact point, Brian, and this is the, the thing we can't ignore. So, hey, Chevrolet-powered IndyCar teams. There are approximately half of the cars on the grid that conform to that. They are uh, Chevy-powered cars. I'll say, unfortunately, because I guess it's worth saying, not all the Chevy-powered teams are front runners. Uh, we know just from a pure, you have demonstrated this by fact. The numbers confirm because you have points, you have podiums, you have wins. There's numerical data to confirm that Air McLaren SP is doing an awesome job this year. They're Chevy-powered, Pato Award, P2 in the championship. Team Penske hasn't been as good as they want, but their P4 won the last race. <clears throat> no question Joseph Newgarden is going to be a serious threat for winning his third championship. Ed Carpenter Racing, welcome back to a place you were. Uh, that being the last time Joseph Newgarden drove for you. Well, hey, you got this no longer rookie, sophomore driver in Renus VK from Holland. That kid is just a giant bag of awesome and fast and balls. So race winner, been on the podium, what, twice this year. Hopefully the testing they've done here during this break going to pay off. They're going to be fast, and he's going to have a great close to the season. A little bit of a split fortune there at ECR this year between Renus and his teammate Connor Daly. Questions about that a little later we'll get to. But three teams in the Chevy camp that we can say by number, by fact, have been delivering something that if you were a returning smaller team, smaller in terms of you haven't done this for that long, you haven't done a lot of it, and you got a lot to build to get to where you want, like Hunko's Hollinger Racing. Is Roger Penske going to say, yeah, you bet. <laughs> Let me help you become awesome and make our lives harder. Uh 
Aero McLaren SP. I the one thing they don't really need is money, so there's not a lot of enticement you can throw their way that would make me think they would want to uh, do that right away. I know, of course, they did that with Meyershank Racing um, for what two years was it? I think if it was the right program, they felt with serious not just money behind it, a driver that they thought would be additive. Is there a condition where that maybe could? I don't know. I haven't asked, but it's possible. But again, keep in mind that happened pre-McLaren. So fairly confident they're going to be expanding to three cars next year. Would they then add on a technical alliance with someone to stretch themselves even more? It's not the direction I would take them. It's not the decision I would make. Unless uh, Hunko's Hollinger Racing is saying, hey, uh, we'll fund your third car if you give us technical support. Yeah, maybe that's an argument you listen to. Beyond that, I don't think just writing a check is going to move the needle a ton for them. So that's just my guessing. And after that, I know that multiple teams have inquired with ECR about technical partnerships whether it's a season, whether it's the Indy 500. At least to date, everything I can remember from Ed, in terms of quotes, has fallen somewhere in the range of, uh, why would I make it easier for someone to beat me when all we want to do is beat them? So this is just where I think the team's going to have a little bit of an uphill climb to get to where they want, because I think they're going to have to do it on their own. Uh, could aligning with a Carlin be a value? Maybe Carlin's been good this year at times, not necessarily amazing at all times. So got to think of would Ricardo or Brad be saying, Oh my gosh, we've got to buy into what Carlin's doing because it's going to transform us. I think that would be a stretch at least for this year. And after that, where do you go? Foyt? They are still hoping to get to a happier, faster place. Um, I can't think of any Chevy-powered team that would say yes that would have data that would be valuable. And I can't think that Ricky would want to talk to any of the others who don't stand out. So that's where I think this is going to be the hardest part of what they do with this new alliance, Brian. Why is it going to be hard? What is the number one rarest commodity in IndyCar? It's not just IndyCar, actually. It's a lot of series. But what is the most precious thing that, trust me, they are flipping over every rock, digging ditches everywhere they can to see if they can strike gold? It's really good people. And that's a generalism. But it could be a crew chief. It could be a race engineer. It could be a manager. It could be many things. Top flight people championship winning or championship caliber transformative people sitting on the sidelines waiting for a phone call like yeah they don't exist (laughs) those are unicorns that's gold that everyone is searching for that they cannot find and i'm talking the big teams are looking for this medium size small everywhere it's not just the smaller teams trying to find good people and they can't it's the biggest ones. It's ones with serious money to throw around as well. 
they're all currently working for people. There is a true and genuine talent shortage. There are some not awesome people working for some teams. They aren't the ones that the people in need are going after. The, I mean, some of you know, lifelong huge NBA fan. Hey, we've we're just getting into free agency and whatnot, and you go, hey, guess what? Yeah, uh, we're looking for blockbuster players. We're looking to sign the Steph Curry's. We're looking to sign the James Harden's. The this is the that's. We're looking to sign giant performers. We'll even go for like top flight bench players. First person off the bench, right? Hey, we'll go. We'll we'll take that person or those people in these IndyCar job titles. Oh boy. Um, what most teams are finding is a lot of the folks way down towards the end of the bench. And for the teams that have excellence in their ranks, I feel like I might've mentioned this last week. Some of them are going to serious lengths to hold on to them, hide them, not let them co-mingle with other teams, get snapped up. Like the, the poaching of talent like that's a thing that has become big with concerns. Who might be going after this engineer, this, 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 that, this, whatever. Like it's, it's real. So we don't only have teams, Brian, pursuing great personnel to make their teams better, get them closer to the front of the grid. We also have active countermeasures to make sure others don't get their people. So if you factor that in and know that, again, essentially every team on the grid is hunting for these mythical people that they exist. I shouldn't say they don't exist. They don't exist in terms of sitting on a couch waiting for a call. Uh, They're all hired. They're all working. They're all not trying to be made available by their teams. Um, they could be in other series. They, who, who knows? So that's where Hunkos is going to struggle. That's where maybe with Brad Hollinger's contacts and time in F1 and wherever else, who knows? Maybe they can extend their search to bring in some personnel that just aren't <clears throat> sitting and ready to go to join their team. Um, your last question of... Who do I expect to get the seat? Forgot to mention this in the little upfront bit about a conversation with Ricardo. Again, I think some of these things are obvious, but if they aren't, I'll share it. Ricardo and I are pretty good friends. I've helped him with a couple things in the past. Just, you know, not worked ever worked for him or anything like that, but just helped him with a couple things here or there. Um, just trying to help a fellow racer succeed. Um, anyways, in the conversation, mentioned that obviously they're able to hire who they want asked for a couple suggestions. Uh, He liked some of those suggestions, asked for the contact info. He is speaking with some of those folks. He and I texted today a little bit. Um, So I'll do my best to answer some of these things. I'll also mention that not all of them I can speak on because I know the answer to them, and uh, they're not meant to be public yet. Uh, So Mitsuki Matsura says, Hunkos Racing. Brad Hollinger. Hunkos is the team that Tatiana Calderon drove for in Star Mazda. 
could she possibly land the seat there with her sponsor rocket is it rocket is it rocket i don't know i don't know uh how exciting would it be if we could see two women racing an indycar with her and simona de silvestro in 2022 uh noting that tatiana tested for aj foyt racing um so what was that the day after mid ohio whatever it was so and apparently that all went very well i can tell you this mitsuki that name was not mentioned and if i had to give you the general mindset it's probably no different for ricky than it would be in any for anyone else they want to make an impact right away and even if the driver they sign might be new to indycar or maybe have never raced in indycar maybe you've tested maybe you've whatever else um these would be like front running ish formula one indycar imsa formula two type drivers and uh tati from you know no disrespect here she's not at that stage yet in her career so knowing that ricardo is not looking to start this new venture with brad uh, having to wait on a young talented junior open wheel driver to get up to speed but instead hoping to have their equivalent of you know maybe a guy like Romain Grosjean who yeah you're a rookie and yeah most of the tracks are pretty much all the tracks are new but you're so good and experienced you're going to look like a veteran right away IndyCar F1 F2 IMSA whatever that's the caliber of driver they're looking for so that would exclude Tatiana right now would I love to hear that there's a plan to have her in Indy Lights, a testing and development role in IndyCar, whatever it might be. Now, that would make me super happy. But for right now, I am unaware of her being on their radar. Uh, our pal Ryan Terpstra says, I've got a dark beer with your name on it. If, uh, uh, if Felipe Nazar isn't in at Hunkos for at least one race this year says, if the success of uh, Latino drivers such as Polo and Award is one of the things that helps drive this forward, I don't see a scenario where uh, Felipe, Brazilian, uh, doesn't get a chance. Um, I would be very disappointed. I'm not clear of mind enough, Ryan, to grasp the whether you're giving me a beer if he is or isn't, or I owe you something, I'm not sure. Um, Without saying that I did, if I were to have forwarded some names and phone numbers and contact infos to Ricardo Junkos, and one of them happened to be that of the driver you just mentioned, yeah, Uh, I'll just say this, of the many drivers I can think of that he might consider Felipe's my number one choice due to his familiarity at a lot of the tracks that we go to in IndyCar since he's been to them in IMSA won a championship uh, with his performances at those tracks the fact that he has tested and done well uh, with Carlin at spring training his Formula 1 experience his technical knowledge which is pretty amazing like just saying 
of course you can throw names in of drivers who participated in the 500. Why would you put them? Just saying. Um, if we're talking about trying something out, giving someone a shot who hasn't had one before, if I am Ricardo in his position, I am saying Felipe Nasser, come on down. Uh, you're going to be driving for us for at least one or two races towards the end of the year. Will he? Don't know. Couldn't tell you. Uh, I haven't looked at the IMSA schedule. I don't know if there are any conflicts. I know that Long Beach, obviously, is an IMSA IndyCar doubleheader. He's got work to do there with his primary job. So, again, I don't know if any of this lines up or would work. But if it could, that would be the guy I would be putting in the car uh, right away. Uh, Nathan DeRover says, I keep hoping that Hunkos will be an opportunity for Santi Arusia. Is that something worth hoping for? Nathan, dear Nathan, we love you. Uh, we love the obscure wishes that you have sometimes, and this would certainly fall into that category. I cannot think of any scenario on planet Earth where Santi would be in a Honko's Hollinger IndyCar. If he were to show up with gobs of money and they were a two- or three-car team and he were destined to fall into that second or third one where look you know you're helping offset costs we're not going for a championship with you i would say that might be a scenario they would consider but yeah i know that santi and i up to a point i was a big supporter of his and still he started until he started showing his ass um wild card man and what is a team that had a light grip on IndyCar and fell out of it uh, and is now coming back with real money and a real opportunity? What do they not do? Call up the wild card. Um, you get your base. You get someone solid in the car who can deliver for you. Develop some people, maybe, knowing that we don't expect them to have like super experienced championship-type folks in every position probably going to be some growth needed well hey you get someone in the car who can coach them up teach them up best practices best habits and right if and when you get to a point where you might say all right we're we've built that base we're solid we can add another car or another car maybe you would consider someone like santi but keep in mind that i know he's been close to one or two things in indycar until i read your question nathan I hadn't even thought about him in a long time. And that speaks to where he has fallen out of in my brain, but moreover speaks to the fact that no IndyCar team owner, team manager, driver, driver manager, I've not heard a single person mention his name for a really long time to make me think of him. Uh, it just tells you where he is not in uh, IndyCar mental registry uh jj gertler how you doing brother says with hunkos returning what does it do for your estimate of car count for next season uh also since they were not active were they counted as a chevrolet team or chevy going to have to up its output for uh support of hunkos especially if there's a second car great questions don't know the answers to them if i was better at my job um you know these are the kinds of things kidding aside 
I'll follow up with uh, Ricky once he gets a driver settled and, you know, once things become a little bit more firm for them to uh, hit the, uh, the good old track. Would say the thing that jumps out from your question, and, and Shane, actually I need to include Shane, at Shane underscore awesome from uh, the Twitters, I believe. He says, hey, Marshall, long-time listener, first time dropping a question. Uh, so going to merge this in with JJ. Thanks, Shane, by the way, for jumping in. I always love it when folks send in question for the first time. Says that with new teams being added, possibility of current teams expanding, is there any word on if Honda and or Chevy are having an issue with being able to add leases? Great question. Um, Going to try and get that answered because uh, it's a story that I've been meaning to do. Questions meaning to ask and a story I've been meaning to do. Uh, but it does roll into JJ's perfectly as well. Mindset I would take for this was the Indy 500 this year. Thankfully, had a real run on interest in extra cars and bumping's coming back. A couple folks are going to go home. That's not the good part. But, hey, there's going to be real competition to get into the field. Serious amount of entries that uh, you know going to be vying for those 33 slots. And so, as a result, there were some pretty serious it's either you or the other person type conversations being had for some of those extra Hondas or Chevys. We'll go into too much in the way of specifics. I just, you know, I could, but I don't think it's going to add any value here, but there was some real look. Um, it's, it's a flip of the coin right now. Whomever, whomever gets in for, you know, look, there's even odds 50, 50 of whether it's your team that's going to be in or your team that's going to be out. Whomever gets that lease secured first, you're in. And so if you're waiting on money and sponsors are going to come through in a week, great. Uh, There might not be an engine waiting for you. So I would say that comes to mind a little bit, and not so much on the, the hardcore money side, but I do think there's going to be a point, and there may be already, a place where discussions have been held of teams saying, hey, we'd like to do another this, an extra that new team or whatever it might be. I guarantee you guys that there have been conversations and will be more of, all right, well, look, we're going to be able to get you the amount that you have right now. Ricky's case will get you an engine lease. Are we going to tell you you're going to get two plus a third for the Indy 500? Uh, I am feeling confident in saying that is not on the cards for Hunko's hauling a racing in their first year together. This is going to be a thing, though, where could there be a team that has a desire but maybe is not able to get their business done in time to where manufacturers says, look, we're going to be capped out full season next year at whatever the number is. I, I feel like I'm making excuses, and I don't want to. I'm just telling you the honest truth. Running, doing a full sit-down and run through a spreadsheet of all the current entries, all the expected additional entries that'd be full-time. What is that number? I haven't done that yet. have a lot of things floating around my head, but I don't have a number to give you because I can't add that quickly on the fly. But for sure, there could be one non-expansion that happens because one of the two manufacturers says, that's it. We got it. We got all we got. It's all you're going to get. And I guess what a good problem to have 
but it also leads to the, oh boy, we need a third manufacturer. So that conversation does not have to be held again because we know Chevy, Honda, and third manufacturer can more than support. Look, if it's split down the middle at 26 full-timers next year, 27, whatever the number is, you go, great, approximately 13 apiece. There's always a possibility of one having one or two more than the other. But look, got it, Indy 500, 35, 36, 37 entries. Again, split that down the middle, 15, 16, 17, 18 apiece. Again, somewhere in those areas, great. Look, if it just needs to be... 13 a piece for the Indy 500 for the 39 entries. Uh, what a great problem. Hey, for full season, yeah. If y'all could do eight or nine, you know, hey, boy, amazing. So that's where uh, a lot of pressure gets relieved. Uh, Mike Kristoff, y'all, you kind of mentioned the same thing here. Boy, do we not need more engine suppliers? We do. Yet another thing I need to ask Roger Penske the next time we speak um, is to see if my theory that IndyCar slash Roger uh, might help subsidize a third manufacturer for the sake of IndyCar. Just consider it an investment. Uh, If we're struggling to get a third, we'd love to have four, but if we're struggling to get a third to provide that pressure release on all suppliers... um, would it not be in IndyCar's best interest to make an investment to help get that third manufacturer in, knowing that, hey, from a cost standpoint, from a, you know, hey, we can make this easier on you? I don't know if you'll say yes or no to that or if you'll even answer, but I still have this little voice in the back of my head, among the other voices in my head. We'll, I'll let them talk to you all later. Uh, that that might be a thing they would consider because it is, again, not just in the best interest of IndyCar. True growth is being held back by the very simple fact that they do not have a third. With a third, uh, this growth of popularity and TV ratings and money and ticket sales and all right, all the things that we we're seeing that are good becomes that much better. Uh, fitting on this theme, something I've written about before. I need to go back and find this, by the way. Our pal Austin Merrill says, Hey, Marshall, tell Rocky and Rosie, our cats, hi for me. Uh, says, Thanks for keeping me excited about IndyCar during the summer break. It's so weird to think that IndyCar's had a summer break. Formula One's been doing it for a long time, but it's just, yeah, it's a little weird. It wasn't intentional. Uh, I know uh, one outlet wrote a really stupid story about it. There's supposed to be Toronto in here, making it not too much of a break. But anyways, uh, I digress. Pit spaces. Will there be enough? Um, I'll try and revisit this with Jay Fry uh, and see if I can get any updated info on this. But wrote a story, I don't know, a year or two ago when they were thinking the numbers were going to be pretty serious, uh, that this was a concern and they'd done... Uh, a little bit of investigating, gating, investigating. I'm making up words, y'all. Investigating uh, to see if and where they might have issues and how they might resolve them for this very, very reason. So, uh, on my list of things to ask about, and hopefully write about. Uh, let's see. We're getting to the end of this opening big section, which we do each week. Whatever the topic might be, we always have one bigger thing we open with. Uh, Andy Bauer says, "Hey, Marshall." Continued prayers for you and your wife. Thanks, man. Like, uh, I always appreciate those notes. 
obviously uh, there's sometimes more than others where they really, really mean something. Uh, great news about Hunkos. As full-time car counts continue to climb, that's a little blurb with a lot of C's in a row there. Uh, car counts continue to climb by Indy Bauer. What does this mean for Indy only teams? Being Indy only is, uh, has to be a disadvantage in making the field of 33. And if there are, say, 27 to 28 full-time entries, plus the normal additions of extra cars uh, that the full-time teams like to add, say, an Andretti or Ray Hall, will this discourage Indy only teams and sponsors? Million trillion percent, Andy. So, yeah, this all falls back to the engine supply issue. Is either brand, is Chevy or Honda going to say, hi, serious full-time partner, more than half of you do excellent jobs for us and win races for us? Uh, No, you cannot have an extra lease for the month of May for your third, fourth, fifth, 19th car because we're going to give it to this one-off team that realistically is going to have their backsides handed to them by you. It's a, it's a hard scenario to see. So, yeah, in a very general and basic sense, Andy, the more full-time teams fill up the plate for Chevy and Honda, the less there is for the small one-off teams or indie-only teams to eat from. Uh, yeah, this is a real thing. Um, that's why not only do we need a third, but until we get a third, yeah, the the knock-on effect here is, hey, Dennis Reinbold, you're awesome, man. Like, seriously, love you. You're the best. Sage had a great portions of the Indy 500 this year. Um does Chevy continue to support a team that might only be able to do one race? Hasn't really been in a position to seriously challenge for a win or, you know, a top three. Or if things are getting full with the, uh, the full-time teams, could a manufacturer, and I'm just using Dennis as an example because he's one of the ongoing awesome uh if well indie only or or similar participants what happens if they say look we have a finite number of leases we could do 17 18 total for the month of may there's always been a little bit of excess for the part-timers the the indie only's peretta autosport another example right you would hope that the positive growth with full-time entries uh, coming in for the full calendar would not start to take numbers off of some of those one-off deals. And so this is just something we're going to have to track. I mean, there's a, a negative to this positive. Uh, there's a potential for a negative to this positive. Is that going to be something where those smaller teams, part-time, indie-only and whatnot, might need to sign up for a longer deal, do something a little bigger, a greater commitment to the manufacturer, to the series. Hey, I mean, they're all serious. So it's not a question of show us you're serious. It's just, can you show us that, yeah, actually this is a bigger investment you're going to be able to make. And so instead of just having to decide whether we get an engine to you 
for two weeks in May. Like, hey, is there a real business we can do across five races? Again, whatever the number might be, but a bigger number of races. Uh, is there a B2B relationship between one of your sponsors and ours where there might be something beneficial there? Do you have a technical sponsor or partner partner in the sponsor in the tech industry somewhere that might be able to help us in some way as a engine provider and we can learn more, do better, you know, let's talk about some of these other things. Uh friends with benefits comes to mind. So we're gonna be tracking this one, Andy. Indy five hundred's a long ways away, but yeah. Um not every story might be a happy one, uh, depending on how things pan out here. Uh, the Hoff God, what a great name, uh, from Twitter says, it's incredible to watch the growth of the series of the past, over the past several years, especially after the slow bleeding of cars, teams from 2012 to 2016. What do you attribute the growth to? I wish I had a single answer for you. Uh, need to look to TV, right? Uh, realize that again, the ratings aren't, explosive and amazing and oh my god we've never seen them before but there's a consistent product with one network and the numbers are definitely going up um even if it's slower than anyone would want uh, i think this has become something that is familiar in ways where it might have been a little bit of a challenge when it was split between abc slash espn uh and nbc nbc sn uh, it just feels like this is a developing product, like a show. Just something you're okay, cool. Well, uh, this has been on this network for a couple of years, and there's momentum behind it, not switching around, and where does it go? And, oh, those people are hosting the Indy 500. Oh, yeah, they really suck. Um I feel like there's just some good stuff there. I know, of course, people piss and moan about Peacock and streaming. Great, cool, whatever. But I think there's a good product there. It's compelling. The racing's been, in general, very good. And so familiarity and quality, those are two great things. Biggest attribute that I would say is behind this growth, Roger Penske. The comments from Michael Shank from Ricardo Hunkos and from a number of some of the older veteran team owners, rivals of Rogers, just continue to hear him owning it. Uh, the security that it brings. Again, Ricardo, I'm, I'm echoing what he said and what I wrote in uh, that story this morning. Um, hey, we we feel confident in this investment. We have something that is growing and becoming more popular, and. We know this guy is, is as solid as they come, and he's going to make things better. And businesses that we have, sponsors that we have, they want to be in and around this guy. There might be business that they can do, we all can do, we all are lifted upwards. There's just immense faith with the business side and the success side of Penske Entertainment, Penske Corporation, RP everyone throughout his organization. While owned by the Holman George family, lots of positives there as well. Not necessarily things that gave anyone big, warm, and fuzzy feelings from a business standpoint. 
here. They got a business leader they can follow. And so I think we're going to continue to see entries, co-entries. Hey, a new union between Ricardo Junkos and Brad Holling are great. I think we're going to see some more of those. Do I think we're going to see an Indy Lights team or two uh, come into IndyCar, whether it's on their own or in a co-entry with an existing team? And so we have another take this name and put a hyphen or whatever and add that name. And I think we're going to see more of that because there's reason to have faith. And so take that faith. have a really solid TV partner that's trying to do good and bigger and better things. Going to be 13 races on the network next year. It's crazy compared to what we've had. And a product that at most races has been pretty darn remarkable. Uh, I think you swirl that up and take a big old gulp and you're really happy. The Hoff God. Uh, James Malloy, you cap this uh, opening segment off with less a question, more of a statement. But aren't you just excited to see the continued and expanded investment in IndyCar? I am, James. Obviously, uh, it's been my lifelong passion in terms of motor racing series. Circle back quickly to close this off on one note that I discussed just a moment ago. And that's crew and personnel and development. Need that third engine manufacturer. Make a lot of things a lot better the minute that happens. That's great. But we have to acknowledge and act upon the very real problem of there aren't enough people to facilitate the motor racing that we love. So... You can say, well, hey, what about the road to Indy powered by Cooper Tires? Uh, great. It's certainly where we're supposed to be training the next generation mechanics, engineers, managers, etc., etc. Needs to become a more formal thing, James. Formal thing, James. <coughs> Sorry, I'm trying to avoid coughing. <coughs> that has to become some form of NASCAR mimicked development thing i don't don't even remember what they call a nascar academy or nascar or whatever technical institute if indycar is going to continue trending in this direction there's going to need to be an investment by the series the track a variety of partners to say cool um look road indy's awesome and we're probably going to look there first for very talented up-and-coming uh crew members but we need to actually create a system and light a fire and get it burning hot to get new people in and trained. And whether it's placing them with road indie teams, uh, interns with IndyCar teams, or just simply, hey, you're going to be in a uh, educational, a uh, scholastic environment for the next six months or a year, and it's IndyCar University. And we're going to have a USF 2000 all the way to a Delar DW12. And you're going to learn all the systems. You're going to learn the theory. You're going to learn fluid dynamics, aerodynamics. You're, we're going to flood you with knowledge. And so that way, when, name the team. Uh, Dale Coin Racing says, we want to go to three full-time cars. Cool. Guess what? It doesn't have to be th- trying to think back. 
yeah, like 12 years ago, <laughs> we had this person who changed the right rear tire at one race for us. Can you find out if he's still alive, uh, is functionally able to walk and talk, and might still be able to do that for us, but on a full-time basis? Like, the going back to, oh my gosh, where, who, and when might we go back to to get, it's just ridiculous. Or, hey, they've left for IMSA or somewhere else where it's schedule's not as crazy. And now, hey, yeah, they're great. They'd be an amazing acquisition. They don't want to come back. <laughs> um, that's the only thing, and I know I'm not trying to spoil the, the closer here, James, but that does come to mind of IndyCar needs to acknowledge there is a significant supply and demand issue that is currently here, and it's only going to worsen as things get better. So wouldn't that be amazing if uh, the series were to, or the track or both were to say, okay, well, uh, we're going to address this and truly start educating and training. And it might not be free, but hey, if you want to have a uh, low-paying job and work a lot of hours, uh, boy, do we have an industry for you. Uh, I stole that a little bit from the... uh, the flyer that I responded to at Sears Point when I went to work for my first real pro racing team, serious pro racing team, uh, long hours, lousy pay. It totally up front, and I loved it because I didn't care because I wanted to learn, and it was the best academy I could have gone to. Um, on the topic of Robin mortality and such, uh, I hadn't spoken to my friend Ricardo Pinheiro, uh, who was my serious mechanic one of my serious mechanical mentors uh really the first main one and i mean ricardo was just he was like uh a second dad to me while i was working at fife ridge racing that's where jimmy vassar came out of um i just reached out to him because i hadn't spoken to him in a couple years and i'm just like hey uh yeah uh mortality that sucks i want to make sure that uh I start connecting with some folks where, for whatever reason, we haven't. So that just came to mind. Um, Dennis Batista, you're moving us on to race coverage for Latin America. Says you're also a first-time questioner, long-time listener. Well, thanks, man. Uh, I do appreciate that, Dennis. You say you're riding in from Panama, which is awesome. Says it may sound surprising to many people, but IndyCar, kart, and whatnot used to be super popular down here in Latin America during the 90s and the aughts. Says, in fact, I grew up watching it on ESPN. However, since 2016, it's been really hard to do that legally. Says uh, IndyCar was relegated from the most popular sports channel to a streaming service with the uh, Mexican telecommunications company Claro, uh, which nobody has or likes. Says, do you see any possibility for that issue to be fixed with a new TV contract? Uh, he says, you have no idea the hoops I have to jump through to watch a race nowadays, and Peacock is not available outside the U.S., I am going to highlight your question, Dennis, and send this to one of the senior leaders at IndyCar involved on the TV side. It's by no means the first or 50th time something along these lines have been sent into the show, Dennis, regarding Latin America specifically. Um, Our pal Carlos Villobos is always uh, pointing out the fact that, hey, IndyCar, you could be doing a lot better. The big thing that happened here, 
sharing what you may already know is when IndyCar parted ways with ABC and ESPN. ESPN's international broadcasting network uh, relationships, all the things that they had have, but all the things that IndyCar had when they were with ESPN from an international standpoint. So smooth, so easy, so well-defined. Just flip a switch and seemingly IndyCar is available everywhere. Uh, NBC does not have that same capability at the moment. Does not have that same reach. IndyCar has had to do their own deals. That's why some of them, including Canada, uh, which was, again, once just always like super easy, uh, IndyCar, big deal. That's taken a big hit, too. IndyCar's had to negotiate a lot of things individually. That's why you and many others are not as happy as you once were. If there's a hope, and I know this is maybe a little more driver-centric instead of just generally equal for all drivers, but if we had front-running, race-winning, championship-contending Canadians in the series... And I didn't just say something negative about James Hinchcliffe. Just this hasn't been a great year for him, great couple years. But uh, look, when James was kicking ass, taking names, and you know all that stuff, trust me, huge, massive, big part of IndyCar's promotions. If we had a couple of Canadians who were doing that right now, do I think IndyCar would be negotiating like mad to make sure that IndyCar's product was better seen, easier seen, all? positive stuff to make the product readily available to seemingly anybody who wanted to watch it because it had sons or daughters of Canada up front doing big things? Yes, I do. This is what makes me hope and what will be part of the question, Dennis, that I send. Hi. Although they certainly speak English, uh, the championship leader for the majority of the year, who's currently leading it, he is a son of Spain. Spanish is his native tongue. Hey, that kid who is behind him in the championship but has been a front runner, and boy, he's amazing, and these are two kids, future of IndyCar. Hey, that Pato Award kid, son of Mexico, uh, native tongue is Spanish. Hey, IndyCar, boy, uh, there sure are a lot of Hispanic folks in this country of ours, and oh, there's a lot more in their country whether they are native whether they're first generation american parents or however it is hey this beautiful spanish language is spoken by the drivers holding first or second in the championship who've been there basically all year we know they're going to be a big part of any car's future why on earth are you not scrambling to renegotiate to make sure that Dennis in Panama and Carlos and Juan and everybody that shares this language that might have a reason to root for a Pato and Alex or a whomever have that ability. Like just saying (laughs) if the top three in the championship were from Russia I realize that U.S. and Russia aren't exactly pals. Were we ever? I'm sure at some point in time. But, hey, do everything you can to make sure folks in Russia can follow their sons and daughters in the series where they are 
Excellent. I'm going to ask Dennis, because if you and everyone else who want to root for not just Pato, not just Alex, but whatever other drivers as well, man, it should not force you to have to go to crazy links to do it or links that aren't legal. So don't know if I'm going to have an answer that'll come back into the show, but I will try and find out and try and remember to share it if I get an answer. Aiden Bishop. Hey, moving on to Ed Carpenter Racing. says, hey, MP, started listening to the podcast a couple weeks back, and I love it. Well, after that intro, Aiden, uh, if you listen to it, we'll, we'll revisit this to see if you still feel that way. This first time question, what is the news on Nico Hulkenberg possibly joining Ed Carpenter Racing? Um, and our pal Hrishi Despond follows up with something similar, so I'll do that uh, after. I'd heard about Hulkenberg and ECR. I'd heard that they'd spoken. Nothing more than that. Don't know Nico. Uh, as much as I love me some Ed Carpenter, Ed, like many team owners, not necessarily willing to say, yes, Marshall, thanks for calling and asking if I have spoken with this current driver. I'm going to confirm it for you. Um, So not knowing if there's anything to it, I sent our Formula One editor, Chris Medlin, a note and said, hey, I've heard ECR has spoken with Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg is yours. This is, you know, more of a F1 guy might be doing something in IndyCar since I don't know him. Uh, and I could probably ask you for his contact info, but that would be the then start a whole journey of however many days of talking to this person and that person and him ultimately deciding probably not to speak to me. Uh, hey, you know him. It'd be real easy for you to talk to him. Maybe there's something there. Uh, so we put together a story, and you will note that there's really nothing in there from Nico confirming anything. Uh, just a little 30-second talking inside baseball here. Um, I write these stories as well where you say, hey, got a question. Might be a little bit sensitive. Might not be at a place where you want to talk about it, but can we talk about it? And the person will say yes or no. But if they say yes, it's often with a, and you're correct. (laughs) This is not something I'm going on the record about, but I'll talk to you about it. And if you want to write about it in a, you know, respectful way or, you know, intelligent way, then, you know, uh, do your thing, but don't put my name on it. And, uh, you know, we didn't speak in terms of this being up front and present on the record. Driver X says yes or no. So if you read the story, you would get the impression that Chris asked some questions and got some answers to then form the basis of a story, even though Nico's quotes are not in it to my recollection. Not uncommon. Um, He would not file a story if there was nothing there. So he would not just simply write a story because I told him they spoke. So that's because he's good. He's a professional. So I can't tell you anything more than what I read because I learned some stuff in there as well. So this was really just me passing something on to uh, my F1 colleague, and uh, he found enough. Um, to warrant filing a story. 
going to read Hrishi's question, Aiden, because maybe it'll help get to the, the bigger point that I wanted to raise here. Uh, Hrishi says, with the uh, Hulkenberg rumors at ECR, uh, what's that say about Connor Daly's status in the series? Is the uh, United States Air Force backing still strong? And what are his other options beyond ECR? Don't know about USAF. I haven't had a chance to connect with Connor. Uh, I hope they stick with him. Uh, I love having Connor in the series, truly. Uh, he's become a popular member. And, you know, uh, on the days where things all work out, he definitely uh, flexes and, and shows us his talent. As for his options, his options are as strong as his sponsorship. Based on how things have gone this year, I would struggle to think of any other team being willing to hire him without sponsorship being part of that deal. It's a performance business. It's, again, I'm not saying anything new or revelatory. Or, you know, there are no revelations in that. Um, it's been a rough year. His reputation's taken a hit. Not everything's been his fault, without question. But nonetheless, it's taken a hit. So if he's not going back to ECR with sponsorship, um, he would have to go somewhere else with sponsorship. The with sponsorship is certainly a question. As I understand it, it's a yearly deal. Gets proposed and then hopefully approved. Um, latter stage of the year. Uh, so, yeah, big question mark there. So, Hulkenberg, could he go to ECR? Would he be a road and street course guy, potentially? Chatting about this with a friend in the uh, the old industry here today, definitely feeling like the scenario Ed presented, which he's hoped for for a while, spoken about before, and that is, would love to have two full-time drivers so I can just do the ovals in a third. And, hey, if we find someone with money or sponsorship to put behind them to do the road and street courses in that one, well, then maybe we could be a three-car team. But primary goal would be two full-timers instead of this second entry of Ed's uh, being split with him in for the ovals and someone else with the road and streets. It just looks and feels like we're going to get closer to that first scenario he's been hoping for of two full-time drivers. Wrote about young Indy Lights frontrunner, four-time race winner this year, championship leader or there or thereabouts for most of the year, David Malukas from Chicago. I mentioned in that story that Carpenter is a place that I've continually heard is very serious place he might end up i just continue to hear that and continue to hear that him going there and being full-time sounding like the odds are pretty darn decent and so if that were to be the case renus vk david malukas full-time i like the sound of that uh ed in a third car guaranteed the ovals at minimum in that car Love the sound of that. Hulkenberg or some others, and there are others on their uh, radar, potentially for a third car doing the road and streets 
or if something with Malukas or another driver doesn't pan out to go full-time and Ed does indeed just stick with the current format, Renus full-time, and then him sharing time in the number 20 Chevy, a guy like Hulkenberg, if he was interested, certainly fit that bill. He's not known to bring sponsorship, so the team would need to find money for that to, to happen. But I do love the idea that some conversations are, are being had. Um, wouldn't it be awesome if ECR was three cars next year and you have a rising star race winner in Renus who in year three should only be even more badass? Young American in Malukas, who I think is going to continue to surprise folks at how far he's come. And then if we're just flirting with fantasy a little bit, because I've been a Hulkenberg fan for a long time, thought of him coming over and playing on the road and streets, you know, uh, that'd be pretty darn cool. So cross fingers and other appendages, y'all. So we get ECR as a three-car team next year. Here's one from Jonas Magnuson, and I appreciate you sending this in. A couple of folks posed similar questions on social media, and I just had no interest in responding um, because I didn't, but I appreciate you took the time to send this into the show. About Marcus Erickson's contract. My last Silly Season update mentioned everything's buttoned up at Ganassi for next year except for Marcus New contract would be needed. New funding is needed for him to continue. Apparently, last year or whenever uh, it was announced that he had signed a multi-year deal or extension or whatever. This is his second year at Canassi, obviously, so I, I didn't read it. Whatever. Was aware of it, but some folks shared the story basically saying, whoa, this has been reported differently elsewhere. And I'm like, well, I don't care what other people report. <laughs> Sorry if I sound like a dick, but I don't care what someone else reported. Uh, I don't do my job based on what other people say. I call the people in question and say, hi, is everything buttoned up? And they say yes or no. And when they say no, I say, well, can you tell me what isn't buttoned up? And then they tell me if they're able to. And in the case here, again, this is all like super basic and simple. There's no drama here. I'm just sharing uh, process. Uh, reach out to the Ganassi team. Hey, doing my latest silly season, dumb thing, whatever. Checking in. I think I know everything's good and buttoned up and there's nothing to talk about here, but just confirming. And when the answer comes back as, actually, no, we, we do have a, uh, one one driver we gotta we gotta get buttoned up and I go oh okay cool. well cool can we talk about it okay yeah um, not talking quotes but yeah give you the information so you can write about it accurately and that's exactly what I did so here's why I wrote it as I did and this is where it goes against whomever wrote whatever about there being a contract extension. Satisfying this contract involves sponsorship. Without a budget to fund the number eight Honda, Marcus Erickson is not an IndyCar driver. And again, this is a well-known thing. It's been this way for many years. Marcus isn't a, quote, pay driver, as in 
He's not good enough to be hired to drive on his own skill. He certainly is. There's a caveat, though. There's a but, and it is he's had a primary backer for a really long time. Known, everyone knows about it within the industry. It's And it's awesome. Some drivers have folks like that. Most drivers dream they had someone like that. We said, yeah, uh, going to fund you as you go into Formula Lower Tier Junior Open Wheel. I'm going to fund you as you step up and up, up, up. And, hey, we've got an IndyCar or F1 or NASCAR or wherever, and I'm going to stick with you. Those are dream scenarios. Marcus has been fortunate to have that person. As I've heard for a few years now, that person has said, hey, this probably isn't going to continue forever. So just an FYI, probably going to come a point where going to need to uh, become self-sufficient. And so having heard that for the last couple of years, um, from what I understand, um, we may have... Uh, may have found that situation had others say you know this has happened before hey this is going to be the last year and uh you're going to have to find you know someone else other you know you're going to have to go find sponsors to uh fill in because you know it's going to be the last go round, and then things get late in the year and all right well we'll do another year have heard from multiple places that that could very well happen all just comes back to one key thing chip ganassi is not paying anyone to drive the number eight car not saying that money isn't paid to the driver of that car i'm just saying that that money is not coming out of chip's pocket it's coming out of sponsorship brought to make that car possible Think about when Graham Rahal drove for them. Sponsorship brought to the team. That's how he got paid. Think about when Charlie Kimball drove for the team. Sponsorship brought, came back to them. Think about Max Chilton, right? So this is nothing new. That's why for what I wrote, saying, like, truly, there's no drama here. They expect to get all this stuff sorted out. Everyone wants to keep working together confidence that yes whether it's the long-standing backer or new spot whatever it is money is going to come in to keep the party going but this is something that has to happen for marcus to continue to be an indycar driver at chip ganassi racing it's as simple as that um if there was no money for alex pelot to drive for Chip Ganassi Racing next year. Chip is not going to spend $8 million of his own money because he loves this young kid and wants him to keep driving. It's a business for Chip. And so that's why, as I wrote, eh, I don't see this as that big of a deal when it comes to Marcus. But this is something that needs to get resolved. So... It comes back to you can put a hundred year contract in front of whomever and sign it. 
it is not worth the paper <laughs> that it was written on. If the terms of that contract say you got to pay for it. So until that is resolved, there's no contract of any value. There's no meaning behind any of it for any driver that has to bring funding to stay in their seat. So without it, without that funding, the number eight has a open seat for someone to fill. And so that's why, as I wrote it, as it was expressed to me, like, look, yeah, uh, this contract is not satisfied. Like, we got to get, you know, this contract has to become valid. Uh, we got to come up with, you know, we got to make this real, make it something, or else it's nothing. And so, if it's in a state of nothing, you don't have a contract. So, there you go. Hopefully, that explains things. Uh, where are we going next? Ed Joris. Couple questions here about Nashville as we veer towards winding down the show. I think what I'm going to do is pick and choose here because we do have a number of uh, items. Uh, Ed, you talk about uh, been around long enough to see a fistful of street races uh, come and go. When you look at the Nashville events, what are the things you look for to determine if it has staying power? Um, yes, about warning signs from others that weren't here. It's been a long time here, Ed, but I, I won't uh, this late in the show. What I mentioned towards the, uh, the the front of the Q&A start of the, hey, you have not created a fan-first environment for what racing fans expect, that's the concern. If I think about Portland's return in 2018, it's a big lesson that was learned in that or what yeah was it yeah it was after 2018 pretty good response grandstands weren't packed but it was a good response enough to say yeah hey i know we got a multi-year you know thing but like hey we're really behind it to do it another year they raised the prices on tickets i can't tell you why i don't know if it was just hey we had a good response better than we expected so hey maybe folks love it and we can ask more and right raise some uh, bigger profits yeah, that's not what happened in 2019. The crowd was visibly down. Heard from many, many that said, yeah, it was awesome last year. They priced me out for the return. And so, yep, I might show up on, a, I'll show up for on the Friday. It might have even been free Friday for all I know. But the, I'm actually buying tickets for Saturday, Sunday. Nope. Um that's the kind of thing that I fear, Ed, with Nashville. Huge hype behind it. Entertainment nonstop and the food and all, like all the stuff we know. Got it. The people who pay the money to be in the grandstands and walk around and want to see things. For those who've never been to a motor race, they might not know that they're lacking a lot of what you'd get at another event. For those that are racing fans who know they normally get at an IndyCar event. That's my concern that there are going to be enough people saying, tried it. Cool. Can say I was there. I got the ticket stub. Unless there's big changes. I am not coming back. That's my concern. So wait until after the event for the feedback. And I'm certainly, hopefully will remember Monday in my call for questions. For some of you help me. If you could send me a note 
on the social medias Monday morning saying, hey, dummy, don't forget to ask folks t- who went to Mem- uh, Memphis, sure, who <laughs> went to Nashville uh, to give you their thoughts, positive or negative. We'll give you a little bit of a uh, feedback from that. Uh, Casey Kirkstra talking about from an engineering perspective, how difficult is it to set up a car for a new street course you've never been to? i uh, mentioning simulators obviously help, but they aren't the real thing. Base set up for uh, street courses. Um, is there a base setup? And you then make adjustments from there. So the thing that's been done, you might have seen the uh, the uh, simulator footage uh, shared from HPD of Romain Groschamp doing some laps there. Uh, yeah, so efforts made to go and map the track, replicate it in 3D, uh, give you all the bumps, all the everything, which you saw in that uh, that clip if you happen to see it which went up on racer. Um, that's where they sh- shorten the learning curve a lot. And so in this case, I think teams are going to show up and be in a pretty good place prior to sim, not only driver in the loop sim, like Roman was doing at HPD, but also actual just computer based simulation prior to those things. Yeah. It would have been a little bit more of a guess, a little bit higher ride height, uh, a little bit softer springing and, you know, make the thing a little bit more comfy like old school Cadillac that first session out, uh, or not for the whole session, but then start dropping ride heights, then start maybe getting a little more aggressive. Um, but yeah, we're a little bit past that, Casey. So actually, it's pretty cool. Like teams are going to show up and, well, not all, but the good teams are going to be good. There might be one not great team that is an outlier and happens to nail things, but yeah actually no longer a giant uh blind spot like it once was uh let's see brian burrell talking about supposed to be toasty this weekend do you think there'll be mandates on air scoops uh yes i would imagine so if the the heat determines that you also mentioned has there been any progress on cool suits uh something i will add to my list of things i should be asking folks about but haven't and have to apologize for not having an update there uh, says you might just jump into the river to cool off midday. Uh, just close with some kind saying thanks for all you do, and just ordered my Robin Miller stickers today. Uh, of my many things I failed to do, I failed to mention that Robin, after getting a lot of requests for the Robin Miller, the get get well Robin stickers, um, I said, hey brother, uh, you're getting a lot of people saying they want them. Uh, I'm not interested in selling them. Like, hey, you know, give me five bucks for a sticker, and you'll get some that I hadn't made. Uh, if you have, if there's something you would like to do with them, like really do with them, tell me and I'll do it. And he's like, let's sell some stickers to raise money for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Uh, so good on Robert, Robert, Robin, man, I suck. Uh, good on Robin for wanting to, uh, to help. And, um, in, uh, you might've seen my tweet from earlier today, maybe not, but, uh, in less than 24 hours, uh, many of you uh, and many others uh, helped raise $1,400 for St. Jude. So, um, yeah, I uh, sent them, uh, did an online donation in the name of Robin. Um, uh, about whatever time before we had to leave for uh, chemo. And then, boy, y'all been buying a lot of them since then. So hopefully uh, we'll be sending more money tomorrow. Uh, Jamie Carr. You got a great item here uh, about uh, 
country songs for drivers. Um, send this one back in for next week and hopefully I'll get to it. I'm just having to be a little bit short sly on, on how I get through the rest of the show. Cause, uh, I've, some of these are awesome like yours, but it's just going to take a long time to uh, not only read, but then answer. Uh, Robbie Bergeron, you say pick three drivers for next year from the road to Indy. Uh, says you can either have or pick from David Malukas, Kyle Kirkwood. Uh, well, he's not road to Indy, so I threw that in on my own. My apologies. Pick three for next year, says Robbie Bergeron. David Malukas, Kyle Kirkwood, Nico Hulkenberg, Juan Manuel Correa, uh, Christian Lungard, Devlin DeFrancesco, and Alex Albon. Um, Pick three you'd be most interested in seeing on the grid. Tell me why. Uh, I've already mentioned I'd like to see Hulkenberg. If I'm just talking about front runners from lights, I'm going to say Malukas and Kirkwood. Um, and then I'm going to, I mean, I love Devlin, and I've said I want to see him there, and I know he's going to be there, so I don't feel like I need to throw him in here. But I want Albon. Um, I've always liked that kid. I know that things didn't work out exactly in F1, I know that he was at fault for some of that, the reason for some of that. I don't know how much, but he just seems like a good kid with a good following. And could be wrong, but I think Alex might be someone who brings a decent amount of eyeballs to IndyCar to follow his progress. So uh, Malukas, Kirkwood, and Albon. Uh, Malukas, I'm fascinated to see how he will do. I'd be lying if I said I thought he's going to go out and win right away in a good team. I don't know. Um, he has performed so far out of my realm of expectations that I'm fascinated to see how much farther he can go. Not as if my expectations mean anything. Just see a kid perform, you go, ah, he's pretty good, but I don't know if he's more than that. And you go, oh, okay, no, 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 no. False read, totally wrong. Kid's way better. But being great in Indy Lights... As history has told us, uh, if you want, uh, Google or or do a Wikipedia search for Mark Taylor. Um, Indy Lights front running, if not Indy Lights championship winning, does not always manifest into amazing Indy car careers. So that's why I'm fascinated to see David. That's the reason there. Kirkwood, kid's a badass. Um, Mentioned earlier in the year, he'd been going through a little bit of adversity and wanted to see how he handled that. It's just the mental question. And he just laughed it off, kept rolling, started winning, doing the things we expected. So, yeah, I want to see more of Kyle. He has phenomenal talent. Be interesting to see how it matches up in IndyCar. Uh, Is he better than a Colton Herta? Is he better than a Renus VK? I don't know. I want to see, though. Is he better than Colton? Like, that's, that's. I mean, yeah, that that's a pretty hard edge to uh, uh, to deal with. But anyways, so yeah, that's why I want to see those three. Um, Nathan, at Indy Nathan, do you expect any current IndyCar teams to add Indy Lights entries next year? Um, how many full-time entries are you expecting for Indy Lights next season? Man, I hate to say it again, brother. This is on my topic of things I need to do. I just haven't gotten there yet. Uh, I've heard yet that, yeah, there there could be some quality growth with a couple of extra entries next year. And if that gets us towards 15-ish, maybe even 16, like, hey, huh, 
<laughs> that'd be great. So uh, more to follow here. Uh, David Heisen, you're wanting to know about catch fence advancements. I truly don't know of any brother. Uh, referencing the uh, recent podcast visit by Tony Cotman, circuit designer for Nashville, mentioning that there's some new barrier technology, talking more about, I think, the heavy, hard stuff than the actual fencing itself, looking at the fencing, uh, the images that I've seen of it. Nothing jumps out to me like, oh, that's brand new that I've never seen. Could be totally wrong. Uh, But I don't know if I have anything to add here in terms of catch fence advancements. John Wojnar, you again, you got a great thing here. Uh, wanting me to try and place four drivers to uh, replicate the Highwaymen, the famous uh, country supergroup. Just not there this week, brother. I apologize. Um, Max Camposano? How you doing, Max? Um, wondering, want to know if there are any kind of one-car teams modeling off of the amazing... Hunkos, Kyle Kaiser, Beaton, McLaren, and Alonzo thing that jumps out. <sighs> Jesus. I'm sure there are. Max, my brain's a little scattered tonight. Um, you're kind enough to say thoughts are always going out to my wife and Robin. That's really sweet of you. Um, I know there are. Uh, maybe the one that jumps out the most, just because it flew into my brain, and I'm not saying it's the correct answer, but... Uh, Jim Hall Racing, John Andretti, Surfer's Paradise, 1991, uh, woke up whatever hour, I don't even remember, whenever it was with the time difference, remember watching it live, um, just crazy. Uh, John's first win, was it his only? Am I forgetting another win by John somewhere? I don't think so. I think it might be his, might have been his one only IndyCar win, but Jim Hall, the team, huge name in motor racing huge history in motor racing it had been a decade basically since they were an indy car it'd been a long time and so them returning and winning on debut season opener surface paradise uh wow that was massive it's a very good team obviously uh, but in terms of expectations one car team new to the grid in terms of returning after a long ways away. It's not like Hall was off doing name some other crazy high level of racing in the interim and then just went back to IndyCar with this well-oiled machine ready to kick butt. Wasn't that case at all. You know, there's some fortuitous things that happened during the race, of course, that got them to victory lane, but that still stands out as a wow. Like, I still remember that 30 years later, is it now? Holy cow. Like a very visceral thing of remembering. It still stands out as a wow. Um, We've gotten to the end of the show in terms of the the red line of finality that Jim places. Uh, All the questions that he liked the most and thought fit the week have been covered for the most part. Um, Because I wasted a lot of your time up front, um, although we're little bit past two hours now we're actually not a whole lot far into your q a so i'm going to go for a little bit longer and uh once again i do apologize for uh those who just wanted the show 
we're going to go with our pal Joey Tebin. Maybe some of you saw the comedic, I don't know, cabatic, uh, terrible ick voiceover that I did for his uh, virtual IndyCar racing thing. Um, anyways, that was fun, Joey. I'll do more of them if you want, if I have time, because, you know, making an ass of myself, uh, I'm well-versed in that. Uh, so Jimmy Johnson said he's going to be testing at Homestead in late August. Do we know when Romain Groschon will test on a big oval for the first time? Do not. Would be very surprised if that happened in season anywhere because there are no big ovals left on the calendar. Would assume that that would be a pretty big off-season priority for his new team, which, again, uh, I haven't heard anything to tell me otherwise that he'll be heading to uh, someplace other than Andretti, but they're beyond needing to do... Well, I don't remember, and it's just my probably more failings of my brain at this hour, but he's obviously passed his oval test to do gateway. Is there a secondary super speedway thing that IndyCar is going to want to sign off on? If so, his new team will probably need him. He will probably need to do that with his new team first. What I was going to say is, as we get into the offseason each year, Chevy and Honda do manufacturer tests. They're usually at a Texas or a, some sort of bigger, faster place. Um, there'll be Firestone tests at Indianapolis and you know some other ovals as well. I would think those would be great opportunities to slot Roma into one of those at least, and not just because it would be good for him gaining information, even though he's newish to ovals, and will have all of one oval race to his credit by then, I think we can assume he's going to provide some very good feedback. So I think there could be value by trying to tuck him into one of those tire or engine manufacturer tests ASAP. Uh, this is all assuming that he likes it and loves it and doesn't leave uh, Gateway slash Worldwide Technologies Raceway saying, nope, never, no. Uh, Hrisha, you're back. MP uh, says, with all the interest from F1, Indy Lights, and the Euro Ladder Series drivers, how does this affect the overall driver market? How much more competitive is Silly Season, and who's at greatest risk of being left out? Uh, I'll park the last question there, Hrisha, just because it take quite a while to run through all the scenarios. Don't want to do that this late in the show. Um, can tell you that there are more names popping up that would not in a normal year because of this generational transition we're facing. So, Pagano, who's what, 36? Young-ish, right? Two years out from an Indy 500 win and, you know... Uh, yeah, his his IndyCar career could be over, which is kind of nuts. Heard that might not be the case, by the way, but, uh, you know, more to follow. But you think of the Powers, Dixon, Sato's, so on and so forth. Um, there's a number of drivers who teams are realizing if they aren't needing to replace them next year, it's coming very soon. And so since there lacks that solid mid-career cluster of championship-winning or caliber drivers. There's a lot of great young talent, but still too much time needed to develop. That's where we're getting this, Rishi. That's why calls to drivers that could be testing, could be racing before the end of the year, could certainly be testing during the off-season, 
maybe in race seats next year, there's going to be a decent amount, more than I think we've had in a while, of, hi, IndyCar fans, let us introduce you to so-and-so, who you probably never heard of, <laughs> but you should have. Um, this is what happens, Rishi, when there's a vacuum. And so you get teams, you know, probably not speaking out of turn. Um, there are three, four, maybe four drivers whose contact info that I, who, whose contact info I have shared with three team owners recently, maybe more, um, at their request. And none of those drivers have turned one lap in competition in IndyCar. And I can tell you for the most part, those team owners are not necessarily saying, hey, gosh, we want to and need to look somewhere other than North America and road to Indy and IndyCar. It's we don't see who we want or need that's available, right? There's lots of coveting, but not lots of availability. Hey, we're looking for someone and... uh, of what we got that's available, hey, where else might we look? There's a lot of that going on. So going to do my best to get another Silly Season episode out here soon-ish, Rishi. Kind of waiting for one or two other things to happen that I am thinking are going to happen. Checked in with one team today to find out if there was something happening ASAP. There isn't, so going to wait to get a little bit more to drop into another silly season update but it's moving uh i cannot recall a silly season like this in a long long time um arrows br got a long one here let me see if i can blast through this i'll probably go for about 10 15 more minutes so um yeah, it's also 9.35. You should probably think about, I don't know, dinner for my wife and I. Yeah, hey, priorities, Pruitt, you freaking moron. Um, Marshall F1 Drive to Survive is gaining world attraction from many casual viewers, from the driver personalities to the rivalries on track, the battle between Max and Lewis. is being talked about around the world. Over on the IndyCar side, we have little to no rivalries on track. Remember the great battles for the championship between Will Power and Dario Franchitti from 10 years ago? Everyone knows that the Indy 500 is the only main attraction for fans. Yeah, I wouldn't say that, but okay. Um, what could they do to change that? Is it time to deviate from multiple race uh, double headers? Do they need to eliminate multiple breaks within a race season? Do they need to extend the schedule, add more tracks? Um, then you throw in a great uh, words of the late, great Owen Hart, enough is enough and it's time for a change. Yes to all the above. Uh, maybe share a couple of obvious observations. Hey, Max and Lewis seem to run into each other a lot. Or complain about things a lot. Or complain about each other a lot. That builds a lot of drama. Uh, whether they've ever seen Drive to Survive or not. Um, run into each other a lot. Two of the best in the sport. And then a lot of bitchy complaining as well you're going to get a lot of headlines. It's going to draw a lot of attention. That's natural. If if it were happening in NASCAR or IndyCar, the result would be the same. 
Obviously, the last two series I mentioned are domestic, not international. But again, uh, Will and Dario got little argy-ish, bargy-ish at times, little chippy with their words. And yeah, there was something there. Is anyone going to remember the great power and Frank Keaty rivalry? I don't know if it ever reached that level. It's been a while since we've actually had that. Scott Dixon's greatest rival ever was Dario, but it wasn't even a quote rivalry so much. Just these are two titans of their era going at it, and there you go. It's been a while. Um, and it needs to happen naturally. But here's where here's where there's some things that need to improve that fit your theme. Some of this falls on the TV side. A lot of it falls on the TV side. It's a lot that goes on in your average Formula One race that the viewers are alerted to. Uh, Folks really have a strong feel as to who's doing what, what's changed, who's in an advantageous position, who's in a disadvantageous position, how things are affecting points, how things are affecting manufacturers, this and title and so I mean there's a lot that if you're looking for things to track that aren't just about two drivers going at it and hey fight 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 there's a lot of stuff that goes on within within an IndyCar race that would be thematic that for the casual viewer even the educated viewer could be amplified not it's not the style um uh, the, i'm not blaming anyone in the booth or on pit lane right the, it's not their decision on how to present the race it really isn't it's it's a stylistic thing that is not really how indie car is presented on nbc it's part of an article i'm going to write here hopefully soon i meant to do it two weeks ago or whatever but uh, it occurred to me while watching the last couple of F1 races, and it comes back to the graphics and the information they're constantly sharing with the viewer, that I have no real need to do a two-screen viewing experience. Pretty much, and I could, but pretty much everything I'm curious about, want to know about, intriguing stuff, is this driver rising or falling? Is this team rising or falling? How does this compare to that? Like all the things more or less presented on one screen that you're watching television at home, your iPad, your phone, whatever IndyCar, Yeah. It's like a two to three screen experience because eh, don't really go deep. Don't really go hard analysis. It's not part of, it's not the culture. It just isn't really trying to break down all the things that are happening, whether it's someone saying what's happening or just putting that info on the screen to allow you to go, oh, whoa, hey, they stopped on this lap for tires. The person they're chasing stopped on that lap. The person chasing their tires are six laps fresher, six laps older, whatever. Again, whatever. Okay, cool. Hey, all right, now I can burrow into that. All right, well, and then let's see lap times. Or maybe they're not showing lap times, but they're showing the gap. Okay, now I know. So on top of watching whatever they're putting on the TV in front of me, may it be the leaders or whatever else, I can see that, hey, that battle for the podium, person in fourth, tires six laps fresher than the person in third. 
X amount of laps to go, probably until the next pit stop. There should be an advantage coming up. Let me watch the gap. And I'm seeing that this gap's coming down. Like Just a lot of, right? So I know that this isn't the overarching theme of, hey, we need IndyCar driver A and IndyCar driver B to punch each other and yell at each other and, you know, say mean things on Instagram. Um, but there's so many other layers that could be presented of interest that aren't. And this is where I have a really strong opinion that that needs to change. So give folks a reason. Give folks multiple hooks. You know, you're trying to bait the hook to get folks to care and follow. If you're trying to pique the interest of those who don't care about that stuff and just want to watch the racing and hear about some of the drivers that they like, you're going to get that. But that's not every viewer. Feed everybody, and you start to build more dialogue. You start to build smarter audiences. They're already smart. They're just waiting for more info to be smarter and to do what they want with it. I'm not saying I do that in my post-race columns all the time, but I do try and provide some analysis or insights or things that piqued my interest or that I saw that maybe wasn't highlighted during the broadcast. So I'm with you. I think the overarching thing, again, a natural rivalry has to happen. You know, uh, there's one key thing I've spoken about that IndyCar has done nothing about this year. It's sad. It's a massive lost opportunity is the old lions and young guns. Young guns are trying to boot the old ones out. Old ones don't want to go natural, natural fight for old to stay relevant, maintain their dominance. Younger ones who want to take it, want to become the face of the series, become champions. We've had that all year long. Instead, we get defy everything or whatever the nonsense marketing campaign was or is. But that's the big thing. If you want to talk about check-in this week to see how generations fight for dominance over IndyCar, who's holding tight, who's slipping, who's getting, like, that's been there the whole time. There's no specific old driver and young driver in a big rivalry, but that's there. It's truly natural and organic. It's not going to last that long. Maybe you build off of that, but <sighs> 10 races are down, 6 to go. That might be a little bit hard. Uh, Platty Hooks from Reddit. Hey, Marshall, have you heard any news on Kevin Magnuson? Read that there's mutual interest from Ganassi. Is uh, his Peugeot WC deal not going to allow 2022 to be a possibility? Uh, everything I understand supports exactly what you wrote in the last sentence. Uh, he is Peugeot's driver, period, end of statement. And there was a window that I spoke about earlier in the year. I might have even written about it. There was a window earlier in the year, I believe, for him to be signed to drive an IndyCar by anyone. Um, but that window closed, and since that window closed, uh, he is obligated to leave and drive for Peugeot next year when they debut in the WEC with their Le Mans hypercar. Um, I also wrote about how Ganassi is moving to two IMSA Cadillac DPIs. I don't know. This may already be out there. I may be telling you old news, but one thing that I've heard super recently, uh, I wrote that they will be testing drivers the day after this weekend's race in Road America. Um, I did hear, I don't think, it might have been over the weekend. I don't know. It might have been earlier today. But um, uh, that Oliver Askew will be one of those drivers. So there you go there. 
Uh, I know that David Gallagher, and I think someone else asked as well, where will Oliver land? I, that's why I mentioned this. I would love to see him in IndyCar. I know that he's still of interest to uh, Andretti and maybe one or two other places, but it sounds like if none of those things happen, if he's testing for Ganassi, he's going to impress the living heck out of them, and I would only expect them to offer him a contract to drive for them next year. Whether it's as Renger Vendezanda's teammate in their 01 Cadillac or in the new second Cadillac, again, I don't know. But I would just say that he's so good that I can think of no scenario where he isn't offered an IMSA full-time prototype deal. But, boy, I'd love to see him uh, IndyCar full-time. Um, last couple that I'm going to blast through here. Uh, Cindy Kuyper is asking about our favorite favorite french fry sebastian bourdais any word on uh where he continues to drive next year and so on you mentioned with alias securing a full-time ride you know the undertone being he's 46 i'm hoping sebastian and tony canon uh can stay and have the same success i don't have an answer to that spoke with larry foyt before i wrote the last silly season article said there is an interest to retain him but they're just not there yet uh you know wanted to get all their commercial stuff in place before deciding on whether it's keeping Seb or, you know, who knows. But before signing anyone to drive the 14 next year, they wanted to get commercial stuff sorted out first. So totally get that. Um, did speak with Seb over the weekend, and uh, I know that he has no plans to retire. So uh, I can speak to that. I can tell you nothing else about anything else. Uh, but I do know that he has no plans to retire and would certainly um, you know, this guy just wants to compete and be excellent. And IndyCar is his first passion. Open wheel racing is his first passion, I should say. Sports cars are, there's a 0.1% reduction in passion. Like, he loves sports cars almost as much, and that's why he's driven them throughout his entire career. But, you know, open wheel is, that's his heart. And so I just hope that everything continues and is positive for him next year. It's been rough to watch things fall off the rails a little bit um, for the past little while there. So, but yeah, uh, he told me he has no intention to retire, which I said, cool, good. Uh, I want to keep doing hamburger and French fry shows. So um, Zach Buchanan, you say seeing that Jimmy Johnson is likely to run a full season. Where could you see Tony Kanaan ending up? He's got a two-year deal from what we understand, so I think they would have to accommodate him somehow, but I'm going to add this to the things that I highlight and follow up on. Um, Man, i got a lot of questions to ask of a lot of people. Uh, Tampa, at Tampa, Tampa, Tamp from Twitter. Uh, Hey, MP, huge fan. Well, that's kind of you. Um, Quick question. Do you see Vassar Sullivan sticking with IndyCar long form, or is it a short-term program? Well, they've been in IndyCar for a long time, um, a long time. If you take them as individuals, they've been team owners for a long time. Together, they've been team owners, co-owners for a long time. So, yeah, uh, everything I know from them, having spoken to them very recently, and I wrote about on racer.com, they will be continuing with Dale Coyne next year, uh, but they are, as they have told Dale and been kind of open about not so much publicly but more privately they want to go full-time on their own so could that happen in 2023 maybe 2024 but uh yeah they're not planning on going anywhere 
Uh, Kenny Gouvro, what is your feeling about Air McLaren SP? Uh, warm and fuzzy. Will they expand to a three-car team in 2022? Uh, they're trying to. I suggest you read my content on racer.com. Uh, that would certainly have been something you would have had an answer for. Uh, will they retain Felix? Uh, yes. He has a multi-year uh, contract, and everything I've heard is they have no intentions to try and change things there. Um, let's see. Uh, Tampa Tamp. Uh, Tamp is back. If Andretti Autosport loses DHL sponsorship, could they downgrade to three cars since they're also trying to expand in IMSA? I don't know if DHL will be back or not, but I have certainly heard that there's an expectation that that relationship will ex- will continue. Um, they would not be talking to Romain Groschamp and a number of uh, to take over the 28 car and then multiple Indy Lights drivers to take over the 29 car if they had any belief that they wouldn't have the sponsorship or incoming budget from drivers or whatever for them to stay at four. So I don't think that there's anything there. Uh, Let's see. Tim Garbasiak. Best wishes to you, Shabrell, Rocky, and Rosie. Thanks, Tim. With all the rumors about Groschon going to Andretti, what does the sponsorship situation look like for that ride? Uh, and for the uh, Dale Coin Racing, Rick Ware Racing 51 in the future. Already covered the uh, the sponsorship side there uh, with the 28 card Andretti. Again, we would think that many, if not all the sponsors currently there will be back, but if they aren't, I'm sure they will find more because they wouldn't be going after a high-priced and high-value person like Groschon if they didn't know that there would be money to support it. Um, Rick Ware brings the primary sponsor of Nurtech to the uh, 51 car. I don't know if that will continue. I hope Rick Ware will continue with Dale, but uh, I'm highlighting that as well. Yet another question. You guys are making so much work for me. I told you this is a good kind of uh, spiritual palate cleansing and whatnot for me. So I hope you hear my energy and enthusiasms come up a little bit as we wind down here. Uh, Kyle Lisk, you're wondering if uh, George Steinbrenner, the 57th will ever branch out and start his own team. I'm unaware of the awesome and fine young George having the kind of sponsorship or budget needed to do such a thing. If he were able to partner with a Jim Meyer type person who can bring in a lot of stuff, funding and partners and whatever, sure. But hey, uh, we're going to need 10 to $15 million to, uh, get a two car team off the ground and, and running next season and whatever, like that's, that's not something that I know of being a reality for George. Um, JJ, you're asking about price, possibly difference between a second carpenter car and second Hunkos car. I have no idea, my friend. Um, I have no idea if Hunkos would be looking for someone to pay for a second car or if they might want to go to two and fund both. Uh, Alexi Hrushko. Hey, Alexi, it's been a little while. Uh, it says, best wishes to you and your wife and cats. Thank you. I love that you guys often throw in the cats. Uh, Rocky was acting like uh, just total office rocker earlier, by the way. Uh, regarding the talks of Sato's retirement, curious who will be the next Japanese IndyCar driver. Uh, mentioned you were calling the past. Toyota and Honda always having at least one. Uh, and you mentioned a couple uh, of very talented young drivers, either with F2 experience, F3 super formula and whatnot yeah i know that uh yuki sunoda uh, has certainly been a 
question mark for Honda, as in, hey, if you have more than a year in Formula One, then I guess you're not an IndyCar option. But if not, if you are one and done there, uh, boy, sure seems like you would be a perfect person to place in IndyCar. So you mentioned Naoki Yamamoto, uh, Tatsuki Makino, I should say, Nirei Fukuzumi and such. I mean, there, it's not a question of talent being there. Um, what I hope, Alexi, I'll just highlight this too and add it to my, it's my 20th question I need to ask. I know that in terms of a high-profile driver like a Tsunoda, being of interest to move over to IndyCar if that is an option, is there. But knowing that Sato's full-time career is, is, you know, meant to be coming to an end. But is there that same enthusiasm to take um, one of the non-higher-profile drivers? Hi, you don't know him. And he he or she means something to us. But, yeah, you know, they're going to be a question mark. Um, are you willing to fund that? Uh, I'm going to try and find that out. Um... Okay, last couple things here. I'm going to take one more. I know a number of you sent in things, second submission, third submission, or whatever. I try not to do those very much, but uh, granted, we're probably going to have more than enough to talk about next week after uh, Nashville. I expect there to be plenty of nonsense and crashing, and you know, with the bumpiness and some of the high speeds coming to these braking zones, I expect someone to be the Valtteri Botas at Hungary type uh, situation here. Um, Robbie Berger, and you asked this, uh, or, you know, I got a couple. Mike Jablow, any news when 2022 IndyCar schedule could be released? I think it should be ASAP, Mike. Uh, Robbie Berger, and you're going to be our final uh, final question. Um, you say with Marshall. Uh, Hi, Marshall, says Robbie Bergen. With Robin's status being up in the air, are we going to see a lot more of racer contributor Joey Barnes or someone else to supplement your, well, you say excellent work. That's a funny. Uh, your work on racer? I don't know, Robbie. I don't know. Um, I know that in a call with racer a couple days ago, you know, they made it clear that, like, look, man, you know, you're going to have to start becoming more that that frontline person um, if Robin's not able to. Uh, and I mean, I guess it's more profile-wise. I don't know. I mean, I just do what I do, and people like it great, and if they don't, they tell me I suck, and that's kind of normal. Um, but, you know, Robin's been the big name, the big star, rightfully so, earned it and everything forever, wherever he's been. Um it looks like he's going to be able to contribute more, which is awesome. I just don't know if that's going to be consistent, right? Um, share this and then say farewell. I don't know how many of you have noticed. I've noticed because it affects what I do every day. When Robin had to dial back things a bit late last year, and other than doing the mailbag and maybe a post-race column of sorts for some races this year, but not many. Uh, you know, Robin hasn't been able to file much uh, each week, much, you know, or each month. Um, used to be 10 to 15, 
16, 17 items from Robin per month, four mailbags plus other items. You know, uh, there have been months where it's been four items from Robin. It's been four mailbags and really not much else because he hasn't been able to. Don't know if many of you notice this, but normally I'm... It might be 60% IndyCar content and 40% IMSA. Sometimes it's 70% IMSA and 30% IndyCar. But since I cover sports cars and IndyCar, and I've done that since the day I started reporting. Actually, I started reporting only sports cars, but soon after IndyCar was added in. Um, I've always kind of balanced between the two, prioritizing one over the other, depending on if it's a big event coming up, whatever. I don't know if any of y'all have noticed, but since late last year, my IMSA and sports car content uh, frequency has gone way the heck down on racer. Uh, and I hate it and I feel bad about it. Uh, I mean, truly, I hate it. But the need with Robin being unable to contribute at his standard level since he's been doing these marathon days uh, in the hospital for a really long time and all kinds of stuff going on and treatments and clinics and whatever... There's just been an absence of IndyCar content from Robin. And so I already generate a lot of IndyCar content. You know, that's not a problem. But there's been a need to go even harder to try and fill uh, that clear vacancy of Robin's regular voice or regular news or regular whatever. And so just a quick note here, Robbie, that, yeah, uh, if you happen to notice... I'm usually knocking out a lot of sports car content to go with the IndyCar stuff. Um, it's usually just one notch down in terms of volume. Uh, I've had to turn that down. You know, the need from my client has been uh, met by what I've produced this year. And so thankfully, we've had some others who've been able to fill in a bit with some uh, sports car content. But um, yeah, I don't want Joey to have a need to fill in much on the IndyCar front because um, that's what I do. Um, I just hope that maybe a Joey or me or however can start doing a little more sports car so things feel a little bit more balanced. All right. Thank you all for listening. Um, Appreciate you all. Thank you to all the questions you sent in. Um, Would appreciate if... uh, you keep the opening bit there kind of more to yourself it's not a lot of stuff that uh, is going to do any help by being on uh, social media so uh, Cooper Tires the Justice Brothers TorontoMotorsports.com thank you uh, I don't think I'm going to have a guest this week just not uh, not the right time so look forward to speaking to you next week after the Music City Grand Prix